Leaders create vision while managers execute on that vision. Leaders inspire and motivate. Managers maintain and administer. Leaders take risks. Managers control risks. Leaders stay focused on the horizon while managers have their eye on short-term goals and objectives. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here, excited to do another episode of the Flip My Funnel podcast. This is going to be a treat for everybody because we have been doing this promotion with Bob Goff, Patrick Lencioni, and I'm a huge fan of Michael Hyatt. Actually, I've shared your work, Michael, several times on the podcast, and we're going to talk about his latest book, The Vision Driven Leader. So for the folks who don't know Michael Hyatt, I'll just share a couple of things, but Michael, I'd love for you to share a lot more and your fun fact. But Michael, I've been following his work for years now. One of my favorite of all the things is his book, The Platform. So if, if people have not heard about it, I'll put a link for it in the show notes. It gave me an idea and the importance of what it means to create a platform, regardless of what organization you're with or company you're with or just individual personal brand. So I have watched that video, how he became a New York Times bestseller as a result of that book, uh, his path with being a CEO of a publishing company. And now for four or five years in a, in a row has been, it has been growing Michael Hyatt company uh, year over year. So it's been a fascinating journey to follow. So Michael, welcome to the show and thank you for being with us. Sangram, thank you for having me on. It's an honor. Awesome, man. Well, let's start with a fun fact about yourself. Okay, so I like my hobbies and one of the things I've tried to create is a lifestyle where I could scale my business exponentially on the one hand, but still have a life. And so one of my hobbies, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I play the Native American flute and I've got about 12 different flutes and I'm not done yet. I've got another one coming this week and I collect them and I love playing. Wow. Now, how did you get into that? Well, about 10 years ago for my birthday, my wife bought me two flutes and she said, I think this would be a great way for you to chill out. And I've always been musical. I was a music major. Uh, for the first two years of my college career until I decided to switch it. And so I've always been musical, but I I never really played anything like the flute. And so she gave them to me. I love the sound of it. And I just commented to her. I said, I love the Native American flute. That's so relaxing. So yeah. she bought me a couple and I started taking uh, lessons and I still take lessons to this day. And I really enjoy it. Wow. That's awesome. And and one of the things I think, and and hopefully this will come through our our interview today, Michael, I think one of the big things I love and admire about you is you have consistently talking about this idea of double win, which is winning at life and winning at work. And I'm hoping that the vision-driven leader kind of allows people to just not set vision for the work, but also for their life. Um, could you shed some light as you share your background and how you became an author and what led you to become this leadership mentor to hundreds and thousands of people? Yeah. So I spent most of my life in the book publishing world. So while I was in college, actually, I was going to say after college, but right in college, when my senior year at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, I took a job at a small publishing company 
uh, as a salesperson. And then I became a marketing director. And then I moved to Nashville to become part of Thomas Nelson Publishers, where I was in marketing first, then I was in editorial, then I got into management. And so I eventually became the chairman and the CEO of that company. When I was running that company, it was a publicly held company. We were traded on the New York Stock Exchange. We had about 750 employees and we were doing about a quarter of a billion dollars a year in revenue. In 2004, right before I came, became the CEO, I started blogging. And it was kind of a, a weird, funny circumstance where I broke my ankle, I was laid up in bed, and I said, I think I'm going to give this blogging thing a try. And so I did. So in 2004, I started that. By the time we uh, got to 2011, we sold the company to HarperCollins. By then, my blogging platform was so large that I said, this, you know, it's now or never, this is my opportunity to speak and write full time. And so I segued out of that business and founded uh, Michael Hyatt and Company, first as a solopreneur, and then I started growing my team. Today we have 40 full-time teammates. We've made the Inc. 5000 list for the last three years in a row, and we're growing about, on average, about 60% a year. So it's, it's been a fun ride. That is fascinating. That is fascinating to hear because I, I know, I think one of the things that you have said, and you've been, you've been very transparent with your journey through your videos and all the different things that you've been doing online is this idea of like, hey, look, you got to be able to pick which battles you want to fight and figure out where you want to go. How did that lead to this vision-driven leader mindset? Well, back when I was trying to turn a division of Thomas Nelson around, uh, this was kind of my first general management assignment. I was given like the worst performing division at Thomas Nelson. We had 14 book publishing divisions. Yeah. They said, hey, why don't you take this one over? And so it was dead last in terms of revenue growth. It was dead last in terms of profit margin. Number 14 out of 14. The CEO said, how long is it going to take you to turn it around? I didn't have a clue, yeah. but I guessed. And I said, I think it's going to take three years. That sounded reasonable. The CEO said, that sounds reasonable to me. You got it. So the first thing I did, Sangram, was that I went off and I wrote down what I wanted to see happen in three years. I didn't know how powerful this was going to be. It's something I now call the vision script, but I wrote it down in the present tense. So as though it were already happening. So I got really clear on what I wanted to see happen to that division. I came back to my team and I went off site to do that, but I came back to my team. I shared within this document and I said, guys, this is wet cement, uh, but this is kind of what I see happening. And, and you guys know we're in trouble. We got to turn this division around, but here's what I think can happen. And I was super enthusiastic. I was excited about this vision. So they made some suggestions. We fine-tuned it. And then we were off to the races. We worked really hard. It didn't take us three years. We were able to turn that division around in a year and a half. We wow. literally went from number 14 to number one in terms of revenue growth number 14 to number one in profit margin. And so for the next, for that was from the year 2000 until the year 2011 when I left, that was still the most profitable division of Thomas Nelson. And it had been every year since, but that all started with a vision. Wow. Now, and do you remember what you wrote in that specifically? I do. In fact, I've got it somewhere on my blog uh, to this day, but I said things like this. I said, um, you know, we publish, I think, 48 books a year. At the time, we were publishing 126 books a year in that division. Now, this is a little bit counterintuitive because I was, I was saying that we we're going to grow sales and we we're going to grow our profitability, not by increasing the number of books that we're going to do, but by actually cutting the number of books, which, you know, maybe we'll come back to in a, in a future point. But I really believe it's possible 
to achieve more by doing less. And the seed of that was in that first vision statement. I said, you know, we're publishing five New York Times bestsellers uh, per year. Up until that point, we hadn't had any bestsellers. I said, every year, uh, our team is maxing out their bonuses. They're getting the the maximum amount of bonus payout that they can get because I wanted this for our our team as well. Well, so it was about the team. It was about our products. It was about the marketing. It was about the impact. But I was very specific. There were a list of kind of 10 bullet points that I included in that vision. Wow. I love that. So, um, you know, you might know, not know this about me, but I, as part of my last company, when Pardot, we sold uh, to Exec Target and then it was acquired by Salesforce. So I was at Salesforce for a couple of years uh, before co-founding Terminus. And at Salesforce, I, I think that's what literally Mark Benioff does. He would go out literally even to, to this day. I mean, it's obviously about 20 years for the organization. He would literally go out, out in Hawaii where he's from and where he has a house and stuff. He will sit on a beach. He will write down what the new big idea he has for where the market needs to go. And he will come back and give it to the team and say, here's where I believe you need to want. Fine tune it and start getting people excited about it. And I think the key word in that is really get excited about it personally yes. and your team. Yeah, so as it turns out, uh, the most difficult sale you ever make is to yourself. But you can't sell what you haven't bought. So a vision has got to start with you as the leader. You've got to get clarity about what you want. What do you want for the future? How is it going to be bigger and better? And so this takes some deep work. But here's the, the, the thing, Sangram, that I think that is important for your listeners to understand. A lot of times we think, I don't know how to do the vision thing. I mean, I'm not charismatic. I'm not that imaginative. I'm not a writer. How could I be visionary? They didn't teach it in business school. There's only about two books out there that have ever talked about it. And one of them I violently disagree with. So how in the world are you going to learn this? The thing I tried to do in The Vision Driven Leader is make it so simple that mere mortals, people like us, could do the vision thing, could have a vision that would guide and direct the way that we build our companies and build our lives. And so that's really what you have in the book. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the page 125, where you say that a practical vision is specific enough to suggest a strategy, but not so specific, it commits you to one particular strategy. Your vision is sacred, but your strategies can switch as needed. Can you expand on that? Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. Vision always comes first, followed by strategy. Now, if you go to, onto Amazon right now and look in the business book section and look for books on strategy, you will find thousands. Everybody likes to write about strategy. Business strategy is taught in business school. It's talked about at business conferences, but vision isn't. But here's the thing. Vision is the what strategy is the how. Vision is the destination. Strategy is the path that's going to take you there. Vision is sacred or more sacred. You know, that's the thing that's not going to change that much. You'll fine tune it every year. You get more clarity every year, but your strategy, that can change. You know, if it gets you to the destination, great, stick with it. If it doesn't, find another strategy. It's just the means by which you get there. For example, let me give you an analogy. Every year, every fall, my family goes down to the Destin, Florida, Panhandle area of Florida for vacation. And that's due south from Nashville, Tennessee, where I live. Mm-hmm. So when we leave, we usually know the route that we're going to take. We're going to go 65 south to Birmingham. But occasionally, there's going to be construction on the route 
down to the panhandle of Florida. We have to detour. We have to take a different route than we planned. That's like strategy. You know, the destination remains the same. The vision remains the same, but the strategy is going to change. So that's, that's how I differentiate between the two. I love that. And I remember like our goal from when, from day one at Terminus, we went from about three co-founders to now, uh, right, I think we're about 250 people right now. Wow. And in the last five years, and I think one thing has been very clear, we have changed so many. We just were right before this, we were in a strategy conversation. We're like, hey, what are we going to do this year versus last year? Um, that's going to change because the market has changed, right? The, the right. competitors are, are different. Yeah, some, some have raised way more money than we have. And so they're, they're flexing a different muscle than, than we have. And the team members have changed and some of us have grown, some of us are new. So all these things led to like, but, but our core that we are here for the marketers, we are here for B2B marketers, the way we can change, change the way they think about it and measure success. We're here to flip the funnel, the way that we think about the work we do. Um, that hasn't changed and we keep coming back to it. So it's mm. helping me recognize that our vision is what's driving us forward, but our strategy can change almost on a, on a monthly basis or yearly basis based on what works. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's just, it's got to be really pragmatic where your vision is much more idealistic and it's what you're going to become. And it's more the long-term thing that you're pursuing, but yeah. that strategy, you know, change it whenever it's not working. I love it. One of the things I'm, uh, this is, I, I need very specific examples on this one. And I, I believe you have, uh, have it. One of the things you talk about in the book is the difference between leader and a manager. Yes. Something that I feel makes people kind of anxious is like, because we're like, everybody's a leader. You can lead the way, you can lead the stuff. And then we're like, well, wait a minute, my title is a man. Like, so can you just, just explain how, how people should think about it? Yeah, well, there is a sense in which everybody's a leader or has the potential to be a leader because being a leader is about influencing other people, right? right? But here's how I differentiate in the book. First of all, leading and managing are two different functions, often two different roles, but they're both important. You really need both in a business. Sometimes one person wears both hats. Sometimes that's divided between like a CEO and a COO. But leaders create vision while managers execute on that vision. Leaders inspire and motivate. Managers maintain and administer. Leaders take risks. Managers control risks. Leaders stay focused on the horizon while managers have their eye on short-term goals and objectives. Now, a great example in business, I don't actually use it in this, this, this in the book. I'll give you another example for the book in a minute. But the role that Steve Jobs had and Tim Cook had when Steve Jobs was living Steve was really that visionary, man. I mean, he yeah. was the guy that was walking out on stage and had this idea for a new mobile phone when everybody said that industry was saturated. When people laughed at him, he said, we've got a phone that doesn't even have a keyboard. You've got the best stylus right in your hand. You know, it's called your finger. And yeah. so he painted this great vision. Tim Cook, on the other hand, played a vitally important role because he was the guy that was setting up the supply chain uh, creating efficiencies, being able to keep those costs down so that Apple became incredibly profitable. Both things were important. But what's really cool mm -hmm. is that Tim Cook, after Steve's unfortunate and untimely death, he stepped into that role of CEO. Now he had to be the visionary. Right. Everybody doubted that he could do it, right? I mean, all the business press was saying, you know, the glory days of Apple are over. Steve Jobs is gone. It's a once in a, you know, generation kind of thing. Tim is too geeky. He's too operations focused. No way he can lead the company. Well, go look at the stock price of what happened after Steve died. 
All Tim Cook has done is take that company, triple, you know, the market cap of that company and done extraordinary work. So again, it's just, it's just different work. And I really do believe anybody can be a visionary. And the reason I wrote the book was to create almost a paint by number so that anybody could do it. I love, I love that example, very specific, because I've been thinking about like, I think about people as like dreamers and, and doers and drivers. And okay. so like dreamers are like, you know, people like me are like just every morning I wake up with a hundred ideas and I have to contain myself to not vomit on everybody I meet and tell them everything. Because <laughs> not every idea is good. Mostly or not. Uh, and then the doers are the one who run the company and make things happen. They're the lifeblood of your organization. And then there are drivers who just have incredible sense of urgency around things and they just want to get stuff done at, at a much faster pace. And what I've always struggled with is the, the question of like, do I put the right, have, are we putting the right people on the right job? Because I don't want to put a dreamer hmm. on something that needs to be launched in like one month. They will scope creep the heck out of it and they will come up with new ideas. I don't want that for them. No, that's exactly right. Right. And, but when we are launching a new, we're thinking about creating a new product line, that's when I need my dreamers to come on and say, hey, dream all you can, name all you can. Like th- this is where we, we think. Um, but I never thought, one of the things that I've struggled with, and maybe you can help me understand is, is can dreamers become doers? Can dreamers become drivers? And in this example, has Tim Cook really become a dreamer or has Tim Cook used his doer driver kind of skills to understand what drives the company and then partnered with some other visionary people in the organization to do what they probably are good at? Well, I, I don't think that, that Tim is as visionary as Steve was. Right. But I think Tim is like a master conductor. Mm-hmm. And so he's able to call up the strings and the woodwinds and the brass and whatever it is to create this incredible symphony. I mean, it, the company is way more complicated, more complex than when Steve was running it. Yeah. Tim is a master at that. What Tim has a vision for is not a single product, mm-hmm. but I think he sees the company as the product. Yeah. And so what he's created is a master company that's a phenomenal product in and of itself. And so I, I, I do talk about that in the book somewhat. I love that. I love that. All right. Um, as we're wrapping up, one more question, and then I want to essentially summarize and have you share a challenge with everybody who's listening. One of the things that you said that, hey, there are, in, in, like, in, and something that I wrote down is like, when, you, when you're focused on being a vision-driven leader, there is something you call a vision scripter tool, right? Yes. Can you, can you expand on that, what that tool is all about? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, what I encourage people to do is not write a vision statement. This Mm -hmm. scares the bejeebies out of everybody because you think, oh, I got to come up with this super clever, brief slogan vision that I can put on a coffee mug or print it on a t-shirt. No, 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 no. You know, maybe, you know, maybe 0.0001% of the population could ever do that. And it scares people because you think I'm not that clever. I'm not that smart. I can't do it. I'm talking about a vision script. This is going to be a three to five page document. It's Mm. going to be written down and it's going to be around four different categories of the future. The future of your team. Your team is everything. Your team is what makes that vision a reality. If your dream doesn't require a team, then your dream isn't big enough. But it's got to start. Your vision has got to be about your team. It's got to be about the culture you're trying to create. Because again, your company is the product. Second, the future of your product. What is your product? And more particularly, what is the transformation you're trying to create? 
Third, the marketing. How do you get your product to the market? What's your vision for that? And then finally, what's the impact in terms of financial metrics, in terms of any other objective metrics, in terms of, of kind of the dent you're making in the universe? So uh, again, it's going to be written in the present tense. It's got to be written down. But the vision script is that three to five page document. It doesn't have to be beautiful prose. This is not going to be sold anywhere except you selling people that you're trying to enroll in the vision. And it can be even written as a series of bullets, but it's got to have clarity and it's got to be expressed. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love that. Thank you for saying that. I think a lot of people are saying amen right now as they're like <laughs> driving the car over here. Like, thank God, not trying to make me come up with this phrase that just looks cool, but there's no meat to it, right? I mean, you know, people do that all the time. Um, all right, so here are the three big ideas, and there are more, and I'm going to have it in the blog and the show notes. But I took, and Michael, you could see prob like probably four pages of notes on it. So number one, I love this point that you made that write it down. Um, I'm a big person. I love, I know you have like journals and that people buy from you. The focus journal that, that has helped a lot of people. And I think there's power in writing things down. But I never thought until you just mentioned that you, know, you write it in present tense when you're trying to think about your future. So that's something that I'm taking away and I'm going to try to start doing that tonight um, as part of my journey. Second thing you, you mentioned about is that uh, we didn't really get too much into it, um, is the idea of like achieving more by doing less. And I think everybody feels like that would be awesome, right? If we can do, you know, get more out of the things by doing less. But I think in some way, weird way, we just put more work on us. So, so maybe in the challenge, you could, you could address that because that is, that is, that is a big idea. And I'm, I'm constantly trying to, trying to figure out. And then you create it shared, and we're going to have this in the blog on flipmyfold.com around this idea of the difference between leading and managing. You mentioned the difference between leader, leading or leaders are creating vision. They're inspiring. They're taking risks. They're thinking about long-term. An example was Steve Jobs. Whereas managing, you're thinking about executing, you're maintaining, you're taking control, you're thinking about short-term, but you're looking at success. An example was Tim Cook. And the fact that at some point, Somebody like Tim Cook can become the person who can vision and drive the business forward because they're not looking at a single artistic product. They're looking at their company as the product, which I think is, is just mind-blowing to me. So lots of, lots of really great ideas. So I'd love for you to share a challenge with everybody that people can just say, all right, do this one thing today or tomorrow. Okay, here's the one thing. First of all, obviously buy the book, but that's not the one thing. <laughs> that's the means to do the one thing. Schedule on your calendar one day for you to get away and create a rough draft of your vision, what your company looks like three years from now. Just a rough draft. What gets scheduled gets done. In between the now and the time you have that day scheduled, read the book so you know what to do. And I just want to wrap up on that achieve more by doing less because you kind of yeah. baited me to that. So I want to <laughs> deliver on that. So here's the reason why that works with the vision. If you don't have a vision, you have no way to differentiate between opportunities and distractions. Distractions often show up masquerading as opportunities. But if you have clarity about the vision, you have the ability to say no to the stuff that doesn't matter. And not all tasks are created equal. Not all projects are created equal. Only a few are going to contribute to the vision. But if you don't know the, what the vision is, you can't tell the difference. You're just throwing as much mud as you can against the wall, hoping some of it sticks. So yeah. that's the power of vision. Once you get clear on your vision, everything else gets so much easier. 
I love that. I love that. That is a so solid. Michael, thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom. We'll have a link to your book, a uh, link to Michael Hat Company. And also, I would personally put the link to your Focus uh, Leader book. Um, because Focus Planner? Planner. But because I think I've used it and I've seen people use it like all over the place. And I think it's awesome. really good too. Because I think that's part of what, uh, what makes you like you write it down and you start focusing. You actually start seeing things manifested in your life. So thank you so much, Michael, for being on the show. Thank you, Sangram. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.